polar bear, an octopus, and a penguin. Why, of course, it's December. Stay tuned. Good afternoon. I'm Chrissy Hewitt. Issues and Ideas continues now with Ears on Art, a twice-monthly program produced at the studios of KCBX Public Radio for the California Central Coast. This is December, and holidays and traditions abound. Ears on Art, since December 1999, has been bringing you stories told by local residents based on a theme provided by co-host Stephen Leluque and me. This year, we're taking a slight departure, but still stories. Hal Wilson of Santa Margarita shares with us some of his collection of Father Christmas stories. Hal will now tell us how all this got started. Hello, my name is Hal Wilson, and I'm here to introduce you to some letters, some Christmas letters. Here's the story. In December of 1920, a letter arrived at the home of J.R.R. Tolkien and his family. It was written in the shaky hand of Father Christmas, and it described the goings-on up at the North Pole. Each year, as the family grew, another Christmas letter would appear. Eventually, though, Father Christmas said goodbye to the Tolkiens. The children had grown up. Over 60 years later, another letter arrived. This time, it came to a family in California in the United States of America. Just as it was with the Tolkiens, this family looked forward to their annual Father Christmas letter. But after about a decade, the letters stopped coming. The children had grown up. The family still hopes another letter will arrive, but in the meantime, they will share what was received. In this broadcast are four of those letters. The next voice you hear will be that of Father Christmas reading their first letter, which is dated December 2001. Dear Hallie and Molly, we have been working very hard to be ready for our big night on Christmas Eve. Since all our preparations are nearly finished, I decided to clean up around the place. I was about to throw away an old crumpled bag when I realized there was something inside. It was a Christmas candle just like those that got Albert, the North Polar Bear, into some trouble last winter. As usual, he had stuck his nose where it oughtn't to have been. Here is what happened. As you might guess, after each Christmas season, we are all very tired and in need of a rest. Albert, in particular, was long overdue. Usually, by late December, he has already prepared a nice warm spot for a winter den. Sometimes he tries to hole up in my cellar, but I try to discourage that idea because he is prone to waking up and raiding the pantry. Anyway, he was having trouble finding his winter hiding place. All the good spots had already been taken by the other polar bears in our neighborhood, which is a bit unfair, because while he was busy helping me, they were all getting ready for bed. The poor dear was starting to get worried when he came up with an idea. Maybe he could use part of that tunnel the goblins had dug under the house several years ago. You remember that story, don't you? In some ways, it was not a bad idea. It is close by, after all, and certainly it is not used by anyone else. But there are reasons nobody goes there. First, it's very smelly. 
Goblin odors tend to linger for centuries. Goblins never bathe, of course, and they never throw out their garbage. They just let it lie around until it gets soft enough to sleep on. Goblins are not very good neighbors. Second, it is one of the darkest places on earth down there. I suspect that some kind of black magic must have spilled out and stained the walls. We discovered that any normal light just shrivels up and sputters out. So, Albert had to deal with these two major problems before he could use the tunnel as a den. Meanwhile, the elves had been very busy taking down the big Christmas tree and were just about ready to put away all the decorations. Usually they are quite good about cleaning up after Christmas, but last year they had taken a few days off to celebrate the coronation of their new elf king. Actually, he, he wasn't new. He just shaved his beard and had his hair styled. It was only a new look. But for elves, that's enough of an excuse to have a celebration. They are silly creatures. The elves had been in such a hurry to go to the party that they just left the decorations lying around in boxes and bags. One of the boxes contained some elvish Christmas candles. They are magic, of course. Anything having to do with elves is magic, usually happy magic. Their hats like to play music. Their shoes dance all by themselves. Their mittens will tickle anything that happens to wander too near. Now, this is very funny to the elves, but annoying to anyone else. Now, Christmas candles are wonderful things. They glow in any color you can imagine, even, even dark brown, which isn't of much use. And they give off a variety of interesting scents, odors, whiffs, and puffs, depending on the color of the flame. The bright neon green flame, for example, smells just like the peppermint spaghetti sauce that is such a favorite among the elves. Albert thought that if these candles were truly magic, they might be able to light up the tunnel. Perhaps they would even freshen up the foul air that still lingers from the goblins' garbage beds. So he asked if he might borrow a few from the box and return them in the spring. Thus armed, he went down to the opening of the tunnel with the candles and some matches. When he lit one, it glowed a beautiful pink and gold and gave off the strange and wonderful smell of peaches and snowberries. Then Albert made a little mistake. Instead of striking another match and lighting the next candle, he used the first candle to light the rest of the bunch. Christmas candles must never come into contact with one another once they have been lit. Immediately, the flames from all the candles fused into a dreadful purplish, brownish, yellowish, sparkler thingy that smelled of bruised banana pudding. <sighs> Not at all pleasant. Then, some of the hot wax spattered on to poor old Albert's nose. It started to fizzle, too. By now, the tunnel was all lit up by a bunch of small popping candles and one very large fizzling nose. But at least he could see what was going on. So he began arranging his den. He brought in some empty boxes to lie on and hung a few pictures of his nephews and family. When he came up one last time to say good night, he set the candles, which were still spewing and snapping, on top of the roof so that we could all enjoy the fireworks. At last, he started back down into the tunnel to get some rest. But his nose was still determined to give off an occasional pop or snap. The only way he could keep it quiet was to wrap it in that red scarf he liked so much. It's the same one he used when he froze his nose to the North Pole a few years ago. That was in 1927, I think. Well, my dears, 
I am happy to report that he did finally get to enjoy his well-earned rest. He doesn't like banana pudding anymore, though. Love to you all. Father Christmas. Christmas 2002 Dear ones, We have had a wonderful summer and fall up here at the North Pole. You'll remember at the end of last winter how our good friend Albert, the North Polar Bear, had redecorated one of the goblin tunnels and had that spot of trouble with the Christmas candles. Well, happily, he woke up from his den in an extremely jolly mood. Normally he stays quite grumpy until his first hot chocolate, but this year he came out whistling like a teapot. Apparently his nose finally stopped sputtering, and he got in a good sleep after all. It still glistens a bit when he isn't careful, but that only adds to his unique appeal. It seems Albert had an inspiration while dozing down below. He decided to take up a new hobby. This wasn't exactly news. He always decides to take up a new hobby when he wakes up from a winter's sleep, so we only pretended to be enthused. Usually a new hobby means there will be a very large mess for the rest of us to clean up. One year he made Christmas ornaments out of potatoes. I still have mine, even though each year it takes on a slightly different shape than it had the year before. I believe it started off resembling a snowman, but now it looks a, a lot like, well, a potato. This year he has taken up knitting. He has some trouble finishing an entire sweater, since that task requires considerable skill in counting rows. It seems, though, he has a knack for sleeves. He makes them in a variety of sizes, and has been very creative in finding uses for them. He gave me a knitted toothbrush cover after noticing that I really needed one, so he said. One of his larger projects resulted in a knitted sleeping bag. It is an unusual grey colour and resembles a large elephant's trunk. He gave it to his two nephews, pointing out that both of them can use it at the same time if they crawl in from opposite directions. They were thrilled and proceeded to create a habitat suitable for making disgusting noises, one of their many talents. Preparation for this year's Christmas have gone exceedingly well. A mild winter so far has made it possible to take a few days off for fun. I took Albert on an ice-fishing excursion which we both enjoyed very much, even though all we caught was an octopus. Albert had decided to use some of his medium-sized knitted sleeves as bait. I didn't ask why, being glad to be rid of as many as he cared to drop into the hole. He sat patiently waiting for a fish to bite when, suddenly, much to our surprise, mine mostly to be sure, he felt a tug on the end of the line. A poor octopus had concluded that these sleeves were exactly what he needed to improve his drab appearance, so he had proceeded to try some of them on for size. Albert hauled up this soggy-suited octopod, and we all sat there on the ice glaring at each other, trying to decide what to do next. Finally, Albert did a very noble thing. He complimented the octopus on his good taste, then scooped him back into the hole, knitted sleeves and all. Of course, we all know that it is impossible for an octopus to have good taste, no matter how you may try to dress them up. Well, that's all for now. With love and my best wishes, Father Christmas. You are listening to Ears on Art, here on KCBX Public Radio. 
Our guest today is Hal Wilson, who is sharing a few of his Father Christmas stories that he used to entertain his family. Back now to Albert the Polar Bear and his friends. Christmas, 2007. Hello, dear ones. As I sat down to write to you this year, I had the chance to reminisce about many things that have occurred over the years. There is one fable I would like to correct right now. My laugh cannot be characterized as a jolly ho-ho-ho. I have never known anyone who laughs with a ho-ho-ho, and it is my opinion that those who do are probably dangerous. The origins of that unfortunate misconception occurred long, long ago. I had a different team then. You'll be familiar with them. Dasher, Dancer, and all the rest were made famous by an insomniac poet who happened to catch me in an unguarded moment. The sneak had come down the stairs just as I was pilfering some sugared candy carelessly left on the table. Fueled by guilt, I suppose, I, I panicked and shot up the chimney. I don't really use chimneys all that often, for obvious reasons. Normally I just park the sleigh outside the front door and use my master key. But traffic congestion was pretty bad that night, and I had decided to park on the roof, using the chimney as a backup entrance. Anyway, when I shot out the chimney, I, I collided with Donder and Blitzen, who were loitering too near the edge of the roof. My sudden apparition spooked them so badly that they toppled off. Suddenly, the entire team was being dragged backwards over the edge, being carried by the weight of the sleigh and all its wares. My pitiful cries of, Whoa! 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 Were useless! <laughs> ho! 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 Indeed! I frantically made a grab for the last pair of antlers going over the edge. Miraculously, the sleigh gracefully rose backwards into the air, with the team and myself trailing behind like ribbons on the string of a balloon. I happened to look down just as that poet fellow poked his head out the window and foolishly began waving to us. I assume he must have thought I was laughing merrily at all this. Well, it is to his credit that Mr. Clement Moore, which was the name I later learned, did not include in his poem the exact string of expletives I used as we made our ignominious retreat. But let's get back to the present. My current dilemma is this. Over the summer, two of my reindeer expressed the desire to retire before making another trip with me this Christmas Eve. I have run ads in the trade journals, but substitute reindeer are not easy to find up here at the North Pole. Actually, reindeer are not the only animals that can pull a sleigh. Just about any creature will suffice. Personally, I don't understand the mechanics of it all, and choose to leave the physics of the problem to my secretary and crew chief, Ilbereth. He tells me he can make the sleigh fly as long as the weight distribution of the pullers is properly balanced. The equation has something to do with body mass, muscle-to-fat ratio, and an extra helping of dessert whenever he wants it. Major Domo, the penguin in charge of the main house, immediately volunteered to act as a substitute reindeer. Our plucky little penguin has always pictured himself as a flyer. He does look quite dashing in his leather helmet, scarf, and flight goggles. Albert, my dear polar bear friend, is also joining us. Unfortunately, we discovered his great bulk has an effect on that weight-balance ratio thingy I alluded to earlier. 
The addition of a polar bear to the team causes the sleigh to spiral in a corkscrew manner that I have never before experienced. The solution to this aerodynamic difficulty was relatively simple. We needed another body. Fortunately, Albert was able to contact his octopus friend Augustus, who has agreed to act as ballast. I have become quite fond of that octopus. He is intelligent, sensitive, and appealingly non-verbal. You would think that anyone named Augustus might want to be called Gus for short, but our eight-legged companion prefers to be addressed as Guts. I suppose it makes sense if one considers his overall appearance. We will bundle him into some extra sweaters for this outing, and maybe even ziplock him into a windbreaker or two. So don't be surprised if you look out your window late this Christmas Eve and see our little sleigh tootling along in the sky, being led by a bear, a bird, and a bag of guts. Much love and happy Christmas from yours truly, Father Christmas. December, two thousand and nine. Hello, dear ones. I am so happy it is time to write to you again. As usual, we have had a most eventful year up here at the North Pole. First, let's start with an update on my dear friends Albert, the North Polar Bear, and Major Domo, the Penguin in charge of the main house. They have become quite the serious fishermen. So much so that they have built a fish house out on the big floe near the barn. It is quite comfortable, actually. There is a couch, a little cook stove where one can make hot chocolate and grilled cheese sandwiches. There is a television which does not work, and a radio. Albert cut a hole into the ice so that they can drop a line through it and pull up a fish, or more optimistically, wait for a fish to jump up through it of its own accord. The main reason for the fish house, I think, is to get away from the elves for a while. Elves can be vexing, especially around this time of year, what with all the projects and schedules and deadlines. So, in the get away from it all shed, the boys sit themselves in front of the blank screen, tune the radio to the fishing channel, and listen to other people fish. Major Domo has become adept at using the TV remote to change the channels from zero to double zero, and can be counted on to lose the remote at least twice a day. Meanwhile, Albert is content to sit and knit, occasionally munch a bag or two of potato chips, and get up only to add material to the line of crumbs on the way to the outhouse. He now grunts with exaggerated effort whenever he gets up or even reaches for anything. In short. Albert and Major Domo are becoming a couple of old roly-poly man-cave dwellers. Speaking of Major Domo, have I mentioned that he considers himself to be French? We do not know why. He was certainly not born anywhere near France, and he has never even been there. He does not speak the language unless you count a very affected French accent when he is agitated. However. He does have an amazing knack with sauces, and his greatest pleasure is being rude to anyone speaking English. In this capacity, he certainly acts like he is French, and as he points out, all three of his sisters have fuzzy armpits. They must be French. Therefore, he too is French. It is hard to argue with anyone of his logic sometimes. For Major Domo's birthday, Albert knitted him a beret. 
According to Major Domo, the beret is the perfect headgear. It was designed specifically for not keeping ears warm, which is a selling point with penguins. In a beret, one is never accused of being a homeboy, even when the hat is worn backwards. Also, a beret can neatly hold a load of freshly caught fish. By these accounts, the beret is truly a wonderful invention. But perhaps its greatest virtue, at least for some, is that it can cover a bald spot. Major Domo can be quite vain about this. The beret that Albert knitted is truly a work of art. He incorporated little scenes into the weave. There is our big house, and you can see the great North Pole itself, and, and there are even little snowflakes along the edges. Wearing that beret, Major Domo has become the essence of chic. He has taken up dancing lessons, always wearing his beret. He plays the accordion, but never without his beret. He even goes swimming in his beret, wearing it down low over his eyebrows like a bathing cap. Major Domo has come to love that beret and declares it the finest gift that anyone has ever received. Meanwhile, another of our friends has been expressing an interest in becoming more social. It is Guts the Octopus. He has been making visits into our drier part of the world, most often at the fish house with the boys. However, Guts felt that he was missing out on having a pal or two down in the wet. I suggested making friends with a squid. I was then informed that this would not do. Squid are very antisocial and, unlike an octopus, have a reputation of lacking in personality. Apparently, squid are the butt of many an underwater joke. How was I to know? When compared to some land mammals, ground squirrels, for example, squid can seem fairly brainy. Just look at how many ground squirrels run under cars each year. This is compared to just one documented case of squid roadkill. Nevertheless, Guts did not have much interest in finding a squid buddy. Then, someone suggested he get some sort of pet. Now, up here at the North Pole, pets are pretty much non-existent. None of the animals are willing to be subjected to that subcategory. Certainly not a polar bear. Certainly not our lone penguin in charge. The reindeer have a trade union. And as for the elves, well, there you are. So Guts was unlikely ever to get a pet. We have always been aware that Guts is inclined to pout. He started lurking around the sea bottom, endeavoring to make himself look as miserable as he could. An octopus can really look miserable when he wants to. After all, a happy octopus is already a brain-dead gray color. Just imagine what they look like when they want to be miserable. So we had to put up with Guts looking miserable for a few weeks. Then, one afternoon, down by the big ice crack, he spotted something drifting past in the seaweed. It danced. It bobbed. It floated. What a happy thing it was. It was not an octopus, although it did look a bit like one, but without all those legs. Well, actually, it did have one fine leg. It was even decorated with three blue stripes. It was a marvelous and mysterious thing. All he knew was that it was the happiest, liveliest, and most graceful thing that he had ever seen. Guts swam over to it. The mysterious thing seemed to want to stay with him. It moved up when he moved up. It moved down when he moved down. There was even a little leash hanging from the open end of the thing. When Guts held the leash, the thing readily followed him home. The thing wasn't much to look at. 
ragged, worn, several holes in the lumpy parts we call the heel and the toe. But Guts adopted the darned thing. Actually, that's what he named it, darn it. At last, he had a companion. They would go on long, drifting walks together. They played hide-and-seek together. Guts taught him how to behave with octopus dignity and not act like a stupid, good-for-nothing-but-roadkill squid. At night, Guts tied the leash to a nearby outcropping, and in the morning, he would reel Darnet back in. Guts was the first to discover that a sock makes a marvelous pet. But he was not the last. Elves, bear cubs, reindeer, even Major Domo started taking their adored little pet socks to the sock park, actually the laundromat, where socks could play with other socks. It is common knowledge that socks are very social. I am told that serious sock aficionados choose their pets very carefully. Knee socks are known for their grace and speed, the greyhounds of the sock world. Those little short tennis socks are the equivalent of sock corgis. The Scottish argyles are known for being extremely stubborn. One can always tell when an argyle has gone by because of the drag marks in the snow. Fortunately, Donnet was not an argyle. He actually enjoyed walking. Each day, Guts would take Donnet for their daily roundabout. The routine was for Guts to wake up, stretch seven of his legs, one at a time, then with the last leg, reach over for and start winding in the leash to retrieve Donnet. Strangely, the string seemed to stretch just a tiny bit further each day. Guts noticed that it took a bit longer to roll up the leash and bring Donnet back in. And even more strangely... As the leash grew longer and longer, Darnet seemed to be growing smaller and smaller. But these were fine times, and Guts was very happy. Darnet was absolutely, positively the best thing that had ever happened to Guts. But it came to be that one morning Guts came out of his hole, ready for their usual stroll. He rolled in the leash. It seemed very loose. He kept rolling. Finally... He came to the end. This time, the only thing at the end of the string was the end of the string. His friend and companion was gone. It was truly the end of Darnet. Now Guts was not just acting the best for show. He was truly devastated. He reverted back into his lonely little hole, more lonely than before, inconsolable even by his two friends. He would not come out. He would not eat. Sometimes we tried to coax him out with another sock, but he would have none of that. We were very worried about him. Then, one afternoon, down by the big ice crack, he spotted something drifting past among the seaweed. It danced. It bobbed. It floated. What a happy thing it was. The thing looked a bit like an octopus. No, this thing was more like, like a jellyfish, but... It was not a jellyfish. The thing had no legs, not even one. But what a happy thing it was. Indeed, it was the second happiest thing Guts had ever seen. For the first happiest thing Guts had ever seen was, at that moment, looking down at him from way up there where the air and the sea come together. The first happiest thing Guts had ever seen were the faces of his two dearest friends, Albert and Major Domo, who was no longer wearing his beautiful beret, he had just, at that moment, given it away. Magic 
is often what happens when someone does something very special. This is Father Christmas bidding each of you a most happy holiday season. Goodbye then, for now. You have been listening to stories from Father Christmas, who inhabits the psyche of Hal Wilson for the purpose of sharing these delightful tales. This was the 18th annual holiday story program brought to you by Ears on Art. Ears on Art is produced in the studios of listener-supported KCBX Public Radio in San Luis Obispo on California's Central Coast. My name is Stephen DeLuque, and for co-host Chrissa Hewitt, we wish you all a very joyous and peaceful holiday season. See you all in 2018.